Act One of The Bell's Stratagem by Hannah Cowley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. To the Queen, Madam, in the following comedy, my purpose was to draw a female character which, with the most lively sensibility, fine understanding, and elegant accomplishments should unite that beautiful reserve and delicacy which whilst they veil those charms render them still more interesting in delineating such a character my heart naturally dedicated to your majesty and nothing remained but permission to lay it at your feet your majesty's graciously allowing me this high honour is the point to which my hopes aspired and a reward of which without censure i may be proud madam with the warmest wishes for the continuance of your majesty's felicity i am your majesty's most devoted and most dutiful servant h cowley dramatis personae doricourt read by a d latheron hardy read by alan mapstone sir george touchwood read by todd flutter read by laurie wilson saville read by mike manalakis villet read by maria james quartal read by greg giordano silvertongue read by son of the exiles croquil read by sulusk first gentlemen read by adrian stevens second gentleman read by thomas peter mountebank read by sandra french servant read by remy porter read by sonia dick courtall's servant read by david purdy letitia hardy read by jen broda mrs Rackett read by kelly taylor lady frances touchwood read by matea bracic miss ogle read by m lee kitty willis read by sonia lady read by rebecca brown servant read by michelle eaton tradesman read by david purdy gibson read by rapunzelina folly read by david purdy first mask read by jim locke second mask read by sarah hale third mask read by thomas peter mrs fegg read by hannah panamarenko stage directions read by wayne cook act one scene one lincoln's inn enter seville followed by a servant at the top of the stage looking around as if at a loss lincoln's inn well but where to find him now i am in lincoln's inn where did he say his master was he only said in lincoln's inn sir that's pretty and your wisdom never inquired at whose chambers sir you spoke to the servant yourself 
If I was too impatient to ask questions, you ought to have taken directions, blockhead. Enter Cortal singing. Ha! Cortal! Bid him keep the horses in motion, and then inquire at all the chambers round. Exit Servant. What the devil brings you to this part of town? Have any of the long robes, handsome wives, sisters, or chambermaids? Ah, perhaps they have. But I came on a different errand. And, had thy good fortune brought thee here half an hour sooner, I'd have given thee such a treat. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed it. What was it? I was informed, a few days since, that my cousin's fallow were come to town, and desired earnestly to see me at their lodgings in Warwick Court, Holborn. Away drove I, painting them all the way as so many hebes. They came from the farthest part of Northumberland, had never been in town, and in course were made up of rusticity, innocence, and beauty. Well, after waiting thirty minutes, during which there was a violent bustle, in bounced five fallow damsels, four of them maypoles, the fifth nature, by way of variety, had bent in the Aesop style. But they all opened at once, like hounds on a fresh scent. Oh, Cousin Cortal, how do you do, Cousin Cortal? Lord, cousin, I am glad you are come. We want you to go with us to the park, and the plays, and the opera, and Almax, and all the fine places. The devil, thought I, my dears, may attend you, for I am sure I won't. However, I heroically stayed an hour with them, and discovered the virgins were all come to town, with the hopes of leaving it wives their heads full of night baronites fops and adventures well how did you get off oh pleaded a million engagements however conscience twitched me so i breakfasted with them this morning and afterwards squired them to the gardens here as the most private place in town and then took a sorrowful leave complaining of my hard hard fortune that obliged me to set off immediately for dorsetshire <laughs> i congratulate your escape court all at olmax with five awkward country cousins <laughs> why your existence as a man of gallantry could never have survived it death and fire had they come to town like the rustics of the last age to see pauls the lions and the waxwork at their service but the cousins of our days come up ladies and with the knowledge they glean from magazines and pocket-books fine ladies laugh at the bashfulness of their grandmothers and boldly demand their entrees in the first circles where can this fellow be come give me some news i have been at war with woodcocks and partridges these two months and am a stranger to all that has passed out of their region. Oh, enough for three gazettes. The ladies are going to petition for a bill that, during the war, every man may be allowed two wives. Tis impossible they should succeed, 
for the majority of both houses know what it is to have one. Gallantry was blackballed at the coterie last Thursday, and prudence and chastity voted in. Aye, that may hold till the camps break up. <laughs> but have ye no elopements, no divorces? Divorces are absolutely out, and the commons doctors starving, so they are publishing trials of Crimcon with all the separate evidences at large, which they find has always a wonderful effect on their trade, actions tumbling in upon them afterwards, like mackerel at Gravesend. What more? Nothing. For weddings, deaths, and politics, I never talk of, but whilst my hair is dressing. But prithee, Seville, how came you in town, whilst all the qualified gentry are playing at popgun on Coxheath? and the country overrun with hares and foxes. I came to meet my friend Doricourt, who, you know, is lately arrived from Rome. Arrived, yes, faith, and has cut us all out. His carriage, his liveries, his dress, himself, are the rage of the day. His first appearance set the whole town in a ferment, and his valet is besieged by levies of tailors habit-makers and other ministers of fashion to gratify the impatience of their customers for becoming a la mode de dorcor nay the beautiful lady frolic t'other night with two sister countesses insisted upon his waistcoat for muffs and their snowy arms now bear it in triumph about town to the heart-rending affliction of all our beau garçons indeed well those little gallantries will soon be over he's on the point of marriage marriage dora court on the point of marriage tis the happiest tidings you could have given next to his being hanged who is the bride-elect i never saw her but tis miss hardy the rich heiress the match was made by the parents and the courtship begun on their nurse's knees Master used to crow at Miss, and Miss used to chuckle at Master. Oh, then by this time they care no more for each other than I do for my country cousins. I don't know that. They have never met since thus high, and so probably have some regard for each other. Never met? Odd. A whim of Mr. Hardy's. He thought his daughter's charms would make a more forcible impression if her lover remained in ignorance of them till his return from the continent. Enter Seville's servant. Mr. Doricourt, sir, has been at Councillor Pledwell's and gone about five minutes. Exit, servant. Five minutes? Zounds! I've been five minutes too late all my lifetime. Good morrow, Corto. I must pursue him. Going. Promise to dine with me to-day. I have some honest fellows going off on the opposite side can't promise perhaps i may uh, see there there's a bevy of female patagonians coming down upon us by the lord then it must be my strapping cousins i dare not look behind me run man run exit on the same side scene two a hall at doricourt's a gentle knock at the door enter the porter Tap! What sneaking devil art thou? Opens the door. Enter Croquil. 
so i suppose you are one of monsieur's customers too he's above stairs now overhauling all his honest things to a parcel of them no sir it is with you if you please that i want to speak me well what do you want with me sir you must know that i am i am the gentleman who writes the tater tates in the magazines oh ho, what you are the fellow that ties folks together in your sixpenny cuts that never meet anywhere else oh dear sir excuse me we always go on foundation and if you can help me to a few anecdotes of your master such as what marchioness he lost money to in paris who is his favourite lady in town or the name of the girl he first made love to at college or any incidents that happened to his grandmother or great-aunts a couple will do by way of supporters i'll weave a web of intrigues losses and gallantries between them that shall fill four pages procure me a dozen dinners and you sir a bottle of wine for your trouble Ho i heard the butler talk of you when i lived at lord tinkett's but what the devil do you mean by a bottle of wine you gave him a crown for a retaining fee oh sir that was for a lord's amours a commoner's are never but half why i have had a baronet's for five shillings though he was a married man and changed his mistress every six weeks ah uh, don't tell me what signifies a baronet or a bit of a lord who maybe was never further than sun and fun round london we have travelled man my master has been in italy and over the whole island of spain talked to the queen of france and danced with her at a masquerade ay and such folks don't go to masquerades for nothing but mum not a word more unless you rank my master with a lord i'll not be guilty of blabbing his secrets i assure you well sir perhaps you'll throw in a hint or two of other families where you've lived that may be worked up into something and so sir here is one two three four five shillings well that's honest pocketing the money to tell you the truth i don't know much of my master's concerns yet but here comes monsieur and his gang i'll pump them they have trotted after him all round europe from the canaries to the isle of wight enter several foreign servants and two tradesmen the porter takes one of them aside well then have you showed us all all en vérité messieurs you have seen everything serviteur serviteur Exeunt tradesmen. Ah, here comes one autre curious Englishman, and that's one autre guinea pour moi. Enter Seville. Allons, monsieur, this way. I will show you things, such things you never see, Begar, in England. Velvets by Le Moss, suits cut by Verdu, trimmings by Grossette, embroidery by De Tanville. Poppy! Where is your master? Zounds, you chattering frog-eating dunderhead! Can't you see a gentleman? Tis Mr. Saville. Monsieur Saville? Je suis mort de peur. Ten thousands, pardon. Excusez mon erreur. And permit me you conduct to Monsieur Doricourt. He be too happy à vous voir. 
Exeunt Frenchman and Seville. Step below a bit. We'll make it out somehow. I suppose a slice of sirloin won't make the story go down the worse. Exeunt Porter and Croquill. Scene three. An apartment at Doricourt's. Enter Doricourt. Doricourt speaking to a servant behind. I shall be too late for St. James's. Bid him come immediately. Enter Frenchman and Seville. Monsieur Saville. Exit Frenchman. Most fortunate, my dear Saville. Let the warmth of this embrace speak the pleasure of my heart. Well, this is some comfort after the scurvy reception I met with in your hall. I prepared my mind as I came upstairs for a bonjour, a grimace, and an adieu. Why so? Judging of the master from the rest of the family. What the devil is the meaning of that flock of foreigners below with their parchment faces and snuffy whiskers? What, can an Englishman stand behind your carriage, buckle your shoe, or brush your coat? Stale, my dear Savile, stale. Englishmen make the best soldiers, citizens, artisans, and philosophers in the world, but the very worst footmen. I keep French fellows and Germans, as the Romans kept slaves, because their own countrymen had minds too enlarged and haughty to descend with a grace to the duties of such a station. A good excuse for a bad practice. On my honour, experience will convince you of its truth. A Frenchman neither hears, sees, nor breathes, but as his master directs. And his whole system of conduct is comprised on one short word. Obedience. An Englishman reasons, forms opinions, cogitates, and disputes. He is the mere creature of your will, the other a being conscious of equal importance in the universal scale with yourself, and is therefore your judge. Whilst he wears your livery, and decides on your actions with the freedom of a censor. And this in defense of a custom I have heard you execrate, together with all the adventurous manners imported by our traveled gentry. Aye, but that was at eighteen. We are always very wise at eighteen. But consider this point. We go to Italy, where the sole business of the people is to study and improve the powers of music. We yield to the fascination, and grow enthusiasts in the charming science. We travel over France, we see the whole kingdom composing ornaments and inventing fashions. We condescend to avail ourselves of their industry and adopt their modes. We return to England and find the nation intent on the most important objects. Polity, commerce, war, with all the liberal arts. Employ her sons. The latent sparks glow afresh within our bosoms. The sweet follies of the continent imperceptibly slide away, whilst senators, statesmen, patriots and heroes emerge with the virtue of Italy and the frippery of France. I may as well give it up. You always had the art of placing your faults in the best light, and I can't help loving you, faults and all. So, to start a subject which must please you, when do you expect Miss Hardy? Oh, the hour of expectation is past. She is arrived, and I this morning had the honour of an interview at Pleadwell's. The writings were ready, and, in obedience with the will of Mr. Hardy, we met to sign and seal. Has the event answered? Did your heart leap or sink when you beheld your mistress? Faith, neither one or t'other. She's a fine girl as far as mere flesh and blood goes, but... But what? Why, she's only a fine girl. Complexion, shape and features, nothing more. Is not that enough? No, she should have spirit, fire, l'ajanoui. That's something that nothing that everybody feels and which nobody can describe in the resistless charmers of Italy and France. 
thanks to the parsimony of my father that kept me from travel. I would not have lost my relish for true unaffected English beauty to have been quarrelled for by all the bells of Versailles and Florence. Foe, thou hast no taste. English beauty, tis insipidity. It wants the zest, it wants the poignancy, Frank. Why, I have known a Frenchwoman indebted to nature for no one thing but a pair of decent eyes, reckon in her sweet as many counts, marquises, and petty maîtres, as would satisfy three dozen of our first-rate toasts. I have known an Italian marquisina make ten conquests in stepping from her carriage, and carry her slaves from one city to another, whose real intrinsic beauty would have yielded to half the little grisettes that pace your mall on a Sunday. And has Miss Hardy nothing of this? If she has, she was pleased to keep it to herself. I was in the room half an hour before I could catch the colour of her eyes. And every attempt to draw her into conversation occasioned so cruel an embarrassment that I was reduced to the necessity of news, French fleets, Spanish captures, with her father. So Miss Hardy, with only beauty, modesty, and merit, is doomed to the arms of a husband who will despise her. You are unjust. Though she has not inspired me with violent passion, my honour secures her felicity. Come, come, Doricourt. You know very well that when the honour of a husband is a locum tenes for his heart, his wife must be as indifferent as himself if she is not unhappy. Foe, never moralise without spectacles. But, as we are on the tender subject, how did you bear Touchwood's carrying Lady Frances? You know I never looked up to her with hope, and Sir George is every way worthy of her. A la mode angloise, a philosopher even in love. Come, I detain you. You seem dressed at all points, and of course have an engagement. To St. James's. I dine at Hardy's and accompany them to the masquerade in the evening. But breakfast with me tomorrow, and we'll talk of our old companions, for I swear to you, Savile, the air of the continent does not efface one youthful prejudice or attachment. With an exception to the case of ladies and servants. True, there I plead guilty but I have never yet found any man who I could cordially take to my heart and call friend who was not born beneath the British sky and whose heart and manners were not truly English. Exit Doricourt and Seville Scene 4 An apartment at Mr. Hardy's Villers seated on a sofa reading Enter Flutter Ah, Villers, have you seen Mrs. Rackett? Miss Hardy, I find, is out. I have not seen her yet. I have made a voyage to Lapland since I came in. Flinging away the book. A lady at her toilette is as difficult to be moved as a Quaker. <sighs> Yawning. What events have happened in the world since yesterday? Have you heard? Oh, yes. I stopped at Tetternall's as I came by, and there I found Lord James Jessaby, Sir William Wilding, and Mr... Uh, Ah, but now I think of it, you shan't know a syllable of the matter, for I have been informed you never believe over one half of what I say. My dear fellow, somebody has imposed upon you most egregiously. Half? Why, I never believe one-tenth part of what you say. That is, according to the plain and literal expression. But, as I understand you... Your intelligence is amusing. That's very hard now, very hard. I never related a falsity in my life, unless I stumbled on it by mistake. And if it were otherwise, 
your dull matter-of-fact people are infinitely obliged to the warm imaginations which soar into fiction to amuse you for positively the common events of this little dirty world are not worth talking about unless you embellish them ah here comes mrs brackett adieu to weeds i see all life enter mrs rackett enter madam in all your charms villers has been abusing your toilet for keeping you so long but i think we are much obliged to it and so are you how so pray good morning to you both here's a hand apiece for you they kiss her hands how so because it has given you so many beauties delightful compliment what do you think of that villers that he and his compliments are alike showy but won't bear examining so you brought miss hardy to town last night yes i should have brought her before but i had a fall from my horse that confined me a week i suppose in her heart she wished me hanged a dozen times an hour why had she not an expecting lover in town all the time she meets him this morning at the lawyer's i hope she'll charm him she's the sweetest girl in the world vanity like murder will out you have convinced me you think yourself more charming how can that be no woman ever praises another unless she thinks herself superior in the very perfections she allows no man ever rails at the sex unless he is conscious he deserves their hatred thank you flutter i owe ye a bouquet for that i am going to visit the new-married lady frances touchwood who knows her husband everybody is there not something odd in his character nothing but that he is passionately fond of his wife and so petulant is his love that he opened the cage of a favourite bullfinch and sent it to catch butterflies because she rewarded its song with her kisses intolerable monster such a brute deserves nay 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 this is your sex now give a woman but one stroke of character off she goes like a ball from a racket sees the whole man marks him down for an angel or a devil and so exhibits him to her acquaintance this monster this brute is one of the worthiest fellows upon earth sound sense and a liberal mind but dotes on his wife to such excess that he quarrels with everything she admires and is jealous of her tippet and nosegay oh less love for me kind cupid i can see no difference between the torment of such an affection and hatred oh pardon me inconceivable difference inconceivable i see it as clearly as your bracelet in the one case the husband would say as mr snapper said t'other day zounds madam do you suppose that my table and my house and my pictures a propos de beautés 
there was the divinest plague of athens sold yesterday at langford's the dead figures so natural you would have sworn they had been alive lord primrose bid five hundred six said lady carmine a thousand said ingot the nabob down went the hammer a rouleau for your bargain said sir jeremy jingle and what answer do you think ingot made him why took the offer sir i would oblige you but i buy this picture to place in the nursery the children have already got whittington and his cat tis just this size and they'll make good companions <laughs> well i protest that's just the way now the nabobs and their wives outbid one at every sale and the creatures have no more taste there again you forget the stories told by flutter who always remembers everything but the circumstances and the person he talks about twas ingot who offered a rouleau for the bargain and sir jeremy jingle who made the reply egad i believe you are right well the story is as good one way as t'other you know uh good morning i'm going to mrs crotchet's concert and in my way back shall make my bow at sir george's going i'll venture every figure in your tailor's bill you make some blunder there flutter turning back uh, done <laughs> my tailor's bill has not been paid these two years and i'll open my mouth with as much care as mrs bridget button who wears cork plumpers in each cheek <laughs> and never hazards more than six words for fear of showing them exit flutter tis a good-natured insignificant creature let in everywhere and cared for nowhere there's miss hardy returned from lincoln's inn she seems rather chagrined then i leave you to your communications enter letitia followed by her maid adieu i am rejoiced to see you so well madame but i must tear myself away don't vanish in a moment oh inhuman you are two of the most dangerous women in town staying here to be cannonaded by four such eyes is equal to a rencontre with paul jones or a midnight march to omoa aside they'll swallow the nonsense for the sake of the compliment exit villers letitia gives her cloak to her maid order to ken never to come again he shall positively dress my hair no more exit maid and this odious silk how unbecoming it is i was bewitched to choose it throwing herself on a sofa and looking in a pocket-glass mrs rackett staring at her did you ever see such a fright as i am to-day yes i have seen you look much worse how can you be so provoking if i do not look this morning worse than ever i looked in my life i am naturally a fright you shall have it which way you will just as you please but pray what is the meaning of all this letitia rising men are all dissemblers flatterers deceivers 
have i not heard a thousand times of my air my eyes my shape all made for victory and to-day when i bent my whole heart on one poor conquest i have proved that all those imputed charms amount to nothing for Daracourt saw them unmoved a husband of fifteen months could not have examined me with more cutting indifference then you return it like the wife of fifteen months and be as indifferent as he ay there's the sting the blooming boy who left his image in my young heart is at four-and-twenty improved in every grace that fixed him there it is the same face that my memory and my dreams constantly painted to me but its graces are finished and every beauty heightened how mortifying to feel myself at the same moment his slave and an object of perfect indifference to him how are you certain that was the case did you expect him to kneel down before the lawyer his clerks and your father to make oath of your beauty no but he should have looked as if a sudden ray had pierced him he should have been breathless speechless for oh caroline all this was i i am sorry you were such a fool can you expect a man who has courted and been courted by half the fine women in europe to feel like a girl from a boarding-school he is the prettiest fellow you have seen and in course bewilders your imagination but he has seen a million of pretty women child before he saw you and his first feelings have been over long ago your raillery distresses me but i will touch his heart or never be his wife absurd and romantic if you have no reason to believe his heart pre-engaged be satisfied if he is a man of honour you'll have nothing to complain of nothing to complain of heavens shall i marry the man i adore with such an expectation as that and when you have fretted yourself pale my dear you'll have mended your expectation greatly Letitia pausing yet i have one hope if there is any power whose peculiar care is faithful love that power i invoke to aid me enter mr hardy well now wasn't i right i letty i cousin racket wasn't i right i knew twould be so he was all agog to see her before he went abroad and if he had he'd have thought no more of her face maybe than his own maybe not half so much ay maybe so but i see into things exactly as i foresaw to-day he fell desperately in love with the wench he 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 indeed sir how did you perceive it that's a pretty question how do i perceive everything how did i foresee the fall of corn and the rise of taxes how did i know that if we quarrelled with america 
Norway deals would be dearer. How did I foretell that a war would sink the funds? How did I forewarn Parson Homily that if he didn't some way or other contrive to get more votes than rubric, he'd lose the lectureship? How did I? But what the devil makes you so dull, Letitia? I thought to have found you popping about as brisk as the jacks of your harpsichord. Surely, sir, tis a very serious occasion. Foe, foe, girls should never be grave before marriage. How did you feel, cousin, beforehand, eh? Feel? Why, exceedingly full of cares. Did you? I could not sleep for thinking of my coach, my liveries, and my chairman. The taste of the clothes I should be presented in distracted me for a week, and whether I should be married in white or lilac gave me the most cruel anxiety. And is it possible that you felt no other care? And pray, of what sort may your cares be, Mrs. Letitia? I begin to foresee now that you have taken a dislike to Dorry Courts. Indeed, sir, I have not. Then what's all this melancholy about? Ain't you going to be married? And what's more, to a sensible man? And what's more, to a young girl, to a handsome man? And what's all this melancholy for, I say? Why, because he is handsome and sensible, and because she's over head and ears in love with him, and all which, it seems, your foreknowledge had not told you a word of. Fie, Caroline! Well, come, do you tell me what's the matter, then? If you don't like him, hang the signing and sealing, he shan't have you. And yet I can't say that neither. For you know that estate that cost his father and me upwards of fourscore thousand pounds must go all to him if you won't have him. If he won't have you indeed, twill be all yours. All that's clear, engrossed upon parchment, and the poor dear man set his hand to it whilst he was a-dying. Ah, said I, I foresee you'll never live to see em come together, but their first son shall be christened Jeremiah after you, that I promise you. But come, I say, what is the matter? Don't you like him? I fear, sir, if I must speak, I fear I was less agreeable in Mr. Derricourt's eyes than he appeared in mine. Ah, there you are mistaken, for I asked him, and he told me he liked you vastly. Don't you think he must have taken a fancy to her? Why, really, I think so, as I was not by. My dear sir, I am convinced he has not, 
but if there is spirit or invention in woman he shall right girl go to your toilette it is not my toilette that can serve me but a plan has struck me if you will not oppose it which flatters me with brilliant success oppose it not i indeed what is it why sir it may seem a little paradoxical but as he does not like me enough i want him to like me still less and will at our next interview endeavour to heighten his indifference into dislike who the devil could have foreseen that heaven and earth letitia are you serious as serious as the most important business of my life demands why endeavour to make him dislike you because tis much easier to convert a sentiment into its opposite than to transform indifference into tender passion that may be a good philosophy but i am afraid you'll find it a bad maxim i have the strongest confidence in it i am inspired with unusual spirits and on this hazard willingly stake my chance for happiness i am impatient to begin my measures exit letitia can you foresee the end of this cousin no sir nothing less than your penetration can do that i am sure and i can't stay now to consider it i am going to call on the ogles and then to lady frances touchwood's and then to an auction and then i, I don't know where but i shall be home time enough to witness this extraordinary interview good-bye exit mrs racket well tis an odd thing i can't understand it but i foresee letty will have her way and so i shan't give myself the trouble to dispute it exit hardy end of the first act